Hello, dear listeners, and welcome to the Overcoming Your Story podcast. Today, our guest is Fiji, and she's calling us all the way from Uganda. I will not introduce her um, much. She's a creative artist. Um, she does many different things, um, like photography, videography, um, and she uses, she expresses her ideas and heart through writing and spoken word. CG, welcome to the Overcoming Your Story podcast. Thank you. Thank you very much. I, lo- <laughs> I love how you said photography, videography. I'm like, interesting, because I like being, I like, um, how do I put this? getting photographers or videographers to bring my ideas to life but me like as me it's really just with my phone um but it is something that i'm going to be studying in like a grad certificate to kind of learn those skills because yeah i would say that i like to say i'm an african canadian creative um but yes my name is cg or my full name is kava cg and yeah, I'm a student as well, studying psychology and going on to doing interactive media management. So yeah, I I love so many different things, but that's pretty much what I'm doing right now. Thank you for, for doing this. Um, you're such a well-rounded person. Um, I saw that in your studies, I think you also study entrepreneurship. Yeah, I studied business management and entrepreneurship. I graduated in 2015. Um, I loved that course so much, but it came with me having so many different ideas and not knowing like where to really begin. First, I was like, I think I should have a home daycare. And then I wanted to do like coaching for young people. And, you know, I just would come up with so many different ideas. But I was like, okay, hey, let me first get some work experience and kind of get to know who I am more before just jumping into it. I wasn't a big risk taker back then. And then how did you get into psychology? So with that, I would say it came about because of my own experiences with mental health. So like from the time I was 18 and I actually went to university in the beginning, um, I was super confused. Well, I would say, okay, I knew what I kind of wanted to do in school, but, you know, with African parents, they sometimes have their own agenda for you. So I went that direction. I pretty much, truthfully, I had no choice. (laughs) And I was studying linguistics because I really like languages as well. But it was really overwhelming. Um, and I, that's when I started to kind of have experiences with depression, suicidal thoughts, like things that I didn't understand. Um, and so I would say from 18 until like, I would say 30 years old, which was <laughs> just last year. Um, I've dealt with different type, like I would say mainly depression and anxiety, like just struggling to really find my way through that. And I've also lost two friends to suicide. So because of that and seeing what's happened in like the last two years in the world, I realized that it's really important to have more people in this field to understand it. And especially those who have experience with it. So last year, that was one of the second friend who uh, passed away by suicide. That's when I was like, you know what? 
I'm going into this field. And I have gotten feedback from my friends all the time. They're like, yeah, you're like the therapist friend. Everyone comes to you to, to talk to you. And so I'm like, okay, you know what? This is something where I feel like it's a gift that I have and lived experience. So I was like, I might as well go into the field, but I'm doing it in a way where I'm going to join like my creative side with the psychology and merging it together. Wow, that sounds really amazing uh, because uh, it's been proven that art is a, um, it's a way to heal when you have depression or even childhood trauma. Or So um, I, I love hearing that, uh, that you're going to combine your creative side and the, the psychology side. If we rewind it back, so this podcast is geared towards women, Black women, African women like you and me. What would you give as a message to our listeners um, hearing your story today? Um, a message I would say, honestly, is get to know who you are at your core. Um, we've been told who we are <laughs> for so long. Uh, we've been rejected in so many different ways. And I think that it's important to know who you are at your core because then you can discover more about your purpose and also find strength in, in loving yourself as who you are. Um, that's one thing my sister, actually, my sister's a therapist. She's also an inspiration for me. Um, she's my younger sister too, graduated from her master's recently, like doing her thing in British Columbia. Yeah. But, um, she did an interview with me, um, and it was about uncovering your core and it was all about, um, my lived experiences of growing up in a predominantly white city where that we experience a lot of racism and then also being raised by a very traditional Ugandan, like traditional Ugandan parents. So I had like this conflict of my identity. Um, so that's why I go back to that with black women is like, especially if you've been raised in different countries where you have a clash of like who you are getting to know you outside of culture, outside of society, stereotypes, and being at peace with that. Because I think that's where you're, you're really able to blossom once you discover that. Oh, yeah, it totally makes sense. That's the reason why I'm even doing this podcast, because I think where, that's where true freedom lies, when we put away all the things we are supposed to be and according to what and tap into ourselves and know ourselves. And that's where we can find real freedom and face the world. And when things get difficult, we know why we are standing. So, yeah. Bringing it back, you touched on it already a little bit. So how did you grow up? Like, where were you born? How did you grow up? Um, how did you see life growing up? Yeah. So I was born and raised in Newmarket, Ontario, so which is north of Toronto. And yes, it was a predominantly white town when I was growing up. Uh, my family and I think another family were the only black families for a long time. And so um, I actually thought I was born in Uganda. So because of just the way my parents raised me, like I was convinced I was born in Uganda. Um, I have a story that I share sometimes where uh, I was on the playground as a kid and these kids asked me like, were you born in, in Africa? And I was like, yeah. 
And then they asked me, so did you play with monkeys? And I said, yes, because I thought that was so cool. I didn't know. Yeah. Then they started making fun of me. And that was, that was a very significant moment in my life where like I started to realize I was different and experiencing rejection. Um, so yeah, I really saw the world growing up. I was just confused, truthfully. <laughs> I'm just like, who am I? But at the same time, we had a Ugandan community in Toronto. So my parents would take me, you know, into the community a lot, which helped me kind of form this more like a, an identity where it's like, oh, I feel like I can relate to these people because we're in Canada, but we're Ugandan and we're eating the same foods and, you know, like the friends at school may be making fun of me for, but like I can be eating freely with these friends of mine in Toronto. Um, and yes, I have three sisters. Uh, two of them are older than me. And then I have a younger sister and yeah, all of us in our own ways have really experienced like our own difficulties of just navigating being Ugandan Canadian. <laughs> um, so yeah, then I said now when I went off to university, that's where like just life hit me. And I'm like, who am I? <laughs> because daddy's telling me I'm this, but these friends and society is telling me I'm this. And I myself don't feel like any of these things. Um, but yeah, I'm very thankful though, to how my parents did raise me with knowing my culture and like my dad said from a long time you're not canadian you'll they'll never accept you as canadian you're ugandan and even more so he emphasized like my tribe like you're a muchiga so yeah i that's why i have like a big thing with my culture that's why i'm here in uganda trying to move here <laughs> i just love um hearing uh, these stories and because i know they will give perspective to many people or just make people think about their own stories and their own lives. So it's amazing to to hear. Some of it resonates with when I moved to, to rural Switzerland. So, yeah. Wow. Yes. I of being like uh, uh, one of the two only uh, black families in town and uh, the you went to school with monkeys uh, in the tree. Yeah, all those kind of, yeah, yeah, yeah. 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 The staring at you, like you become yeah. so conscious of being different yeah. and black. It's overwhelming. Yeah. yeah, people really look at you, eyes holding you accountable to how you behave. So every time you st I stepped out of my home, I put on a mask because I knew people were looking at me where I stepped, how I spoke, how I act, did I eat properly? Like we internalize these um, stairs and then we kind of use it. I used it, I used it to check myself when I was in public, you know. It just became boring. Yeah. Then I got to that point just like you, like, but who am I at the end of the day? Um, I have all these roles, daughter, this, that, but who is Miriam? You know? Yes, exactly. It's really important because it can it impacts your self esteem and everything. That's really what it did to me, and I know that's where a lot of the depression for me came from. It is that like low self esteem because I didn't know who I was. I completely lost my identity. So when did you first notice um, that you had low self esteem? I would say in the seventh grade because. I used to cover myself a lot. I used to cover my behind. <laughs> and I don't even, like, for an African woman, like, especially Ugandan, I don't have a big butt. 
<laughs> I'm just going to be straight up. But, you know, compared to typical, you know, Caucasian growing up, I did. So people would talk a lot about my butt and my lips, and I would be super insecure about that. Like, I remember on the playground, again, this guy was like, you have really big lips. And I'm like, okay. Or like, you have black gums, black uh, lips, everything dark, dark, dark. So that's where my self-esteem definitely started to decline. But then in high school, I, um, there was, it was more multicultural because I went to a Catholic school and like, there was like people who came from outside of the city and literally I saw Asians, I saw Spanish people, I saw, you know, um, Italians, other like Jamaicans, other people that weren't just like European and I just gravitated towards them, you know? I felt like finally we can all share something in common where we have like a different culture. And that's when I, I felt better about myself. Um, and then when I went to school in Ottawa, Ontario, I met so many international Africans. That's where, no, I met Brenda Story before that, but <laughs> I know her, I know Brenda from everywhere. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, exactly. Um, I forgot. I met her at in Hamilton. Okay, I have my story is actually so long. I'm really taking it in. I've been everywhere. So Hamilton before Ottawa is when I met a lot of international students, um, and that's where my confidence started to come back. Like I remember. I started to wear my hair natural in Ottawa and, you know, people giving me compliments about my hair, my skin. I felt so happy and alive. Then when I went, moved back home to Newmarket, I was working at the Apple store and it was predominantly white. And there again, my self-esteem was low. And so I would, I know you didn't ask me this question, but I thought about it. I would genuinely say my self-esteem, like, like raising my self-esteem or having higher self-esteem happened within the last year. And it was all my sister interviewing me about who I am at my core. When she just started to unpack certain ideas that I didn't realize I had about myself or how I walked into the world and like was super conscious of being black. Please share which ones. I also struggle with self-esteem and I know many of us do, right? Many of us men, we struggle with our self-esteem. And sometimes we come across as so strong that people wouldn't think we we have we could even have self-esteem issues, right? People are always surprised when I tell them like low self-esteem, depression, everything. They're like, really? You look so happy, whatever. I'm like, this light that shines is God. <laughs> I'm telling you because when, when the light is off, <laughs> I'm just like, it's, I'm just sad. <laughs> and I just like to be honest in that way. But um. Yeah, I would say like one thing is like going into a store. I would always feel like I have to make sure nobody thinks I'm stealing anything, you know, or like, or even being walking behind like old white people, you know, I'm just like, oh, they probably think I'm going to steal from them. But it's like, I've never done that in my life. But because that's just such a stereotype, it's not embedded in my mind. Like, make sure you're the like good black person, quote unquote. Speaking of that, when I was younger um, and I would go over to some of my friends' houses, their parents would introduce me as like, okay, yeah, this is CG. Oh yeah, her dad's a doctor. It's almost like they had to qualify me. Like, oh, she's she's 
this black friend of hers, but her dad's a doctor, you know, and I don't like She's not like the others. Exactly. And I noticed that too, how they would treat me differently or because I don't have an African accent because I was born in Canada, people will treat me differently than those who have an accent. And I would see it happen in my face. And I'm like, no, that, that bothers me so much. You know, it's so ignorant. So I would always like stand up for people. Like, how can you say that? You know, like it's, it's not a compliment to be the good black girl or, or good black person, you know, the one that's accepted because you sound more like them or something. No. Yeah. Yeah. That resonates to a lot. Um, no, it doesn't feel right. Right. It doesn't. And I always felt like, you know, um, in Switzerland, we say, oh, you're not like the others. I'm like, you know, those boat people you see on TV, those are my brothers. You know? I'm that, <laughs> and then they're me. Yeah. <laughs> we are the same. Yeah. We're the same. Those are my brothers right there. Yeah. It's just sad. Um, they cannot make a living on the continent or they don't see how they could make a living there and they're running away from their home. That's the sad part, but... Um, we are not different. It took time for me to be able to say that, right? Um, yeah. At first, you're just uh, uncomfortable and you don't know what to say, but yeah. Yeah, nobody chooses like where they're born, what family they're born into, what skin color they're born into. Like, so it's just, it's just pure ignorance, ignorance, classism, racism, all of that. It's just ridiculous to me. Yeah, I always think about it and I think I'm like, wow, some people feel they're superior because the lottery of life made them uh, to be born, I don't know, uh, in Canada, in France or, you know, it's it's so random. I mean, it's just, <laughs> it's a lottery of life and then they, oh, we know better, we manage things better. I, I don't know, I always found that really unfair that people don't think more deeply about that. And then I think there will be more compassion among humans. Um, so, yeah, those interviews, I'm very interested in those interviews with your sister. Like, she just would be asking me about my, because it was for her uh, thesis paper, right? About, like, you know, Black people who grew up in, in, who were raised in a white institution. I forget the title of it. But, um, yeah, it was just my experiences growing up in a white school, how that affected me, how I see the world, how I see myself. Um, and yeah, I wish I remembered more of the questions, but that was the general, yeah, the general idea of it. And another thing too, um, talking about the cultural clash now between being Ugandan and Canadian um, and kind of wrestling between those two identities. Um, but I would say getting to know more about my history and my roots also did help my self-esteem because I used to not like my name, Kawasiji, my middle name is Bakohondo. I used to pretend my middle name was Kate as a kid. Like I, I don't have any English name, but because I didn't have an English name, I my sister and I made up English names. Hers was Anne, and I was Kate. Because <laughs> we didn't want to be, you know, ourselves. Or I started introducing myself as Kay as well. Um, just because I didn't want to have to explain Kawasiji. There's an age where we want to fit in, right? So it's totally normal, I would say. Now that you're home, so how do you feel right now? You're in Uganda... I feel good. This is the fifth time I've been in my life. I first came when I was 15. 
Um, my dad kept us away because there was Ebola. He was like, nope, <laughs> my daughters aren't going to Uganda. <laughs> so the first time experiencing was at 15. But now, but ev sorry, every time I would come, it's like something, it would do something to my soul. Like it was like this missing piece and then I'd be happier. I'm actually happier in Uganda. Like I can handle things better. Like when I'm feeling sad or anxious or anything, I'm like, but I'm in Uganda. <laughs> when I walk on the streets, people look like me, you know? Um, it's it's life, you know? People can be in the greatest situations financially or not, but people know how to laugh, how to smile, how to share, you know? It's just, it's really warm. Um, and it's a lockdown too, but I still feel the warmth. And just like small things that make me laugh. Like for example, the dogs, outside around the area who that bark all night it annoys me but at the same time it entertains me because i'm like it, it's almost like africans we're just used to like everything the dogs can be barking the chickens are you know making noise roosters ah we're used to everything people are make playing blasting their music <laughs> across <laughs> and you're dancing to someone else's music you know cooking in the kitchen like i love it i feel like it's so rich and and you know that um, saying, it takes a village to raise a child? That's in Africa. You feel surrounded by a village of people. Um, I've been so blessed to have like my cousin. You know, I'm staying with her right now. But if I need to go stay with another cousin, they'll welcome me in. In Canada, it's not like that. Everyone is much more isolated and every man for themselves. It's so fast-paced. So, yeah, I feel happy. Um, I've met people that I've, I didn't even realize like I could easily meet like other creatives that I want to work with. Um, and so that really inspired me even more Then one of my friends took me to his studio. I was doing some spoken word there. He's like, yeah, my, these guys can make a beat for you. Like things just happen quickly here. Right. So I'm, I love it. I absolutely love it. <laughs> yeah. And for your mental health, we know that having a community or feeling there's a community around you is very important. So that's the big reason why I came. Like everyone was like, how can you go to Uganda in a pandemic? I'm like, I've been isolated for too long and it's impacting my mental health. I need to be out of here. I need to be around family and friends. So I wanted to ask you when you were talking, a question just came into my mind. So you spent 15 years in Canada. How did it feel when you first landed in Uganda and you saw like all black people around you. Oh my goodness. It was so overwhelming. I was like, what? I cannot believe this. It was a constant shock. And another thing too, is because I have like a Ugandan community in Toronto, that was like my mini Uganda. So now, you know, it's almost like that's all I knew. So now coming here, it's like, I'm seeing 10,000 uncles, you know, that I knew from from Toronto, like uncle, there's not this uncle who came to mind, Uncle Louis. <laughs> you know, so it's like, oh, that person sounds like this person, or this person sounds like daddy, or now I understand why my parents are the way they are. Um, but I know too when I first landed, and there were so many bugs in the airport. I know it sounds so stereotypical, but seriously, I was, I was, yeah, I was that Canadian kid, like, oh my gosh, I can't. <laughs> Oh, my kids are like that. I'm laughing at them because the day we would go home, oh, my goodness. Yeah, I would be laughing a lot because one single one fly, they're freaking out. <laughs> oh, my goodness. But then after some time, 
I just loved it. And my parents took me to my village as well. I was like the only one out of my, um, so it was my younger sister and my cousins. They were like so over the village so quickly. But when I would see like the kids coming up to you and dancing and loving, oh, I loved it. It was do it did something to my soul. So that's amazing. In our community, sometimes it's hard to talk about mental health or even recognize as you so openly recognize that uh, people suffer from depression, anxiety. Like what direction do you think we should um, take with that? Oh, yes, definitely. More conversations. Like that's why I decided like, so 2014 is when my the first friend, unfortunately, uh, passed away by suicide. And that's when I was like, you know what? I'm not going to keep quiet about my struggles. And I posted on Facebook. <laughs> I was like, I, w- I don't know what I said. Something about like how, you know, this friend is someone who is smiling all the time. But I'm not so surprised because I'm the friend that's smiling all the time. And I can relate to those feelings. You know, I shared my story and I had friends reach out to me saying that they felt the same way, but have never opened up about it. So I since since then, I was like, as hard as and uncomfortable as it is, I'm going to keep talking about it. And now in the last two years, it's like everybody is okay with talking about it, at least in like Canada and America. Um, And I can see now like within the African communities, people are slowly starting to, but it's also hard. Like for example, I know in Ugandan culture and I'm sure so many other African cultures, we're used to keeping quiet about things. You don't talk about it, you know, either you keep it to yourself or within your, within your family because there's so much stigma or anyone with mental health, you know, they call you mad. So, (laughs) you know, I just think that, Whoever is comfortable with just being like, you know what, I have gone through it or I'm going through it, we have to keep having these conversations. Um, One thing that's really helped me and saved me was when I was battling the thoughts of suicide, going online and reading other people's stories. Then I'm like, oh my goodness. So this is normal. This happened. This isn't, you know, so yeah, I would definitely say conversations and for myself, like I'm thinking of different things that speak to us as African people. And I know that music is one big thing. So I'm going in that direction of thinking of ideas of making like, um, hosting like weekends where we incorporate African music. I'm working on an app as well. That's going to incorporate Afrobeats and different music for healing. Um, so yeah, just finding solutions that speak to us like if traditional therapy isn't it there are so many different ways that we can start to talk about it and heal yeah i I encourage therapy of course but um i also just encourage finding someone trustworthy and talking you know even if it's just a friend a cousin if you're feeling really bad you know just not to keep it all inside and be suffering in silence I know that just going to a stranger and opening up, it's not really, it's not really in our culture, but for those who are ready, of course, but for those who are not ready, just talking to someone, you know, I saw your Afrobeat therapy um, music list. I, I listened to a few songs. I said, oh, wow, that's so good. Oh, okay. <laughs> I went on your link tree. So yeah, oh, yeah. <laughs> I, I feel like that. Um, I didn't know the songs, but they were the words and everything, the beats, they were really very calming. 
for the soul, I would say. So Yeah. It honestly that's what got me through the lockdown in Ontario. I was just I couldn't anymore. So I would start playing Afrobeats. And then I remembered too when I was like nineteen. I used to listen to this one Nigerian song by Timaya. What was it called? I I don't remember the name of it. I have to, I'd have to like keep thinking for a long time. I wanted to remember, but it saved me. Like I would just play it in the morning and that's what would get me motivated to get up. So I started to see like the power in that and music in general, like before when I was younger going through racism, I used to listen to Michael Jackson and Tupac Shakur because <laughs> they would talk about, things about racism you know so there's power um in music and yeah afro beats has just it brings people alive like and what i love too is it's across cultures now like in toronto a couple summers ago i went to this um like patio place and people of all races dancing to afro beats i was like this is amazing so yeah that's why i'm really pushing this afro beats therapy and making it a thing <laughs> It's always surprising when you hear Afrobeat from. I, I had I, I went to a party once in Switzerland, and this Turkish girl she was singing a, a Nigerian Afrobeat song in pidgin English. I was just like, something is not right. <laughs> <laughs> she knew all the lyrics. I was like, no, this is not adding up. Yeah, <laughs> at the same time, you know, uh, yeah. Mm -hmm. uh, Yeah, even the new song by Pato Ranking, um, Celebrate Me, you know, the the one where he's talking about celebrating ourselves while we are alive. I just, when I listen to it, I'm like, yeah. I don't know that one. I'm going to add it to my list. I get so excited when I, because I'm like so obsessed with looking up new songs. When someone tells me one that I don't know, I'm like, thank you. <laughs> I'm adding it because I love Pato, <laughs> Pato Ranking, but I don't know that song. Yeah, I think it's uh, I don't it's been maybe two months or something now. Celebrate uh, me, yeah, it's beautiful. Yeah, yeah, you you will like it. <laughs> yeah, and honestly, our culture, Africans, Black people, if you really think about it, we're such trendsetters, you know. So I think that there's there's going to be a big future with this Afrobeats movement that's happening and has been happening. Yeah. Yeah. I'm just so happy to see how, from from what I'm reading and and seeing online, that um, young Africans have taken it into their own hands um, in like even visually, or in music videos, like representing themselves from their own perspective. I just find that so powerful, you know. It is. It is. I'm like, wow, this thing, it has the potential to like give confidence to young people that they can do it. Yes. And bring uh, uh, something to the soul of the world, seriously. Yeah, especially when years ago, you know, the only media images of Africans were World Vision and all these other images that were negative or, you know, sometimes, yeah, realistic, but not the full picture of who we are. So now it's like, yeah, we're really being showcased as the fullness of who we are. And we're an alive people. We We come alive. <laughs> mm -hmm. nice. amazing uh, I know you also write uh, I, of course I couldn't uh, finish this interview without asking you about writing uh, I saw you wrote a poetic memoir God Made Me African do you want to tell me a little bit about that? I was just praying to God um, and just like worshipping 
because again, music, music. And um, I just started to cry. And I really realized like how much I had rejected myself um, being African and my features and my, my name, my culture and everything um, because of society and also uh, church, like the church environment that I was in. Um, <clears throat> the, the African culture sometimes is demonized and because of that, I just rejected that so much, but yet it's so who I am at the core. So now with this book, God Made Me African, I just began to release and then it became, I, I was getting these ideas to make it like a whole spoken word album, which it, I'll probably do that actually. But I thought to myself, no, you know what, let me just write this out and release it to people because I've had a fear of releasing written content. Um, I can write like captions in my Instagram or I'll do like a spoken word video, but to just, you know, just the rawness of me writing, I would overthink it because I'm like, no, my grammar is off. This isn't right. It has to be like this. Um, but yeah, so like each one goes through different things. So I talk about the, um, I address, no, first I talk about just like myself, like who I am and how God made me woman. God made me African. God made me born in Canada, like embracing all of that. Um, and then I also move on to talking about how, um, you know, growing up, even Caribbean people rejected me, you know, like there was a time in high school where this girl asked me like, are you Jamaican? And I said, no, I'm African. And she's like, oh, you know? And so I kind of addressed that too in the book where it's like, you know, we have this division within our cultures, but yet, you know, we are the same. And Africans too, we reject and stereotype against Caribbeans and African-Americans. So I talk about that. Um, yeah. So just different kind of, I don't know how to put it. Just it's seven chapters, very short. But yeah, I'm just addressing different parts of my life that kind of I wanted to heal from. And oh, it was healing. Like writing it and releasing it. Oh, so healing. Like I was like, okay, next. <laughs> yeah. I wanted to uh, to ask her what the process did to you because right now I'm writing my memoir. Mm. It's hard as hell. It's very hard. Yeah. It's incredibly healing. It's that kind of healing, I don't know, maybe I would have been, I would have needed to go 30 years in therapy, you know? Yeah. The change, it it, um, it breaks in, in me, writing my memoir, rewriting, editing. It's every time I don't want to do it, I'm saying, oh, yeah, I will, I will, I will print it. I say, okay, okay, I'm going to read it. And they move some things around. And then two days later, I'm saying, yeah, I'm going to, I'm going <laughs> to. You know, it's a process, but um, it just makes me sometimes see situations that happen from a new light, and it's a, a gift. So yeah, um, yeah. So you said it's it was healing, right? Yeah, right. extremely healing. And then also getting like feedback from some people who purchased the book. I was like, wow, like one of my friends, his feedback was so detailed, and it was like wow, somebody got it, you know? I'm like, at least if somebody can understand like where, like my heart, because sometimes I'm afraid that I come off too strong or too harsh because I'm, I, I, I like to just be 
honest. <laughs> that's just, and that's, yeah. And that's part of also, you know, like the characteristics of my tribe as a Muchiga. Like we're, we're known to be blunt, straight up, straight to the point. So, but to get feedback from people who related to it or who understood or also could see, could um, kind of got insight into my story being born in a predominantly white town. Um, it was, yeah, it was great. I really enjoyed it. I don't really market the book that much. I'm too shy in a way. I'm like, whoever wants to get it, they'll see it. You know, it's just, it's, I get a little awkward in some ways like that, but I really encourage anybody who wants to write, like not to overthink it. Me, my grammar is not, I'm not good with grammar, but my gift is just writing poetically. You know, whatever your gift is, whatever you want, it'll speak to somebody. Just release it. It's another form of therapy, really. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, we learn from stories. Sometimes you read someone's account, like someone will read your your book and they'll be like, oh my God, this is my story, but it's not written by me. Oh my God, only that connection in your mind that there's someone out there who understands what you've been through or understands your life story. Um, it's healing actually, because it breaks you from isolation. You're not alone. And then you write about the that we don't care about grammar because it, it's in writing that you become a better writer. Like when I when I read things I wrote 10 years ago, I'm so, oh my God, who wrote this, you know? I know. <laughs> <laughs> because I stopped writing. So now when I read those things and then I see that, okay, the writing was not strong or anything, but the only thing that has helped is that I kept writing. It's not because I became, I didn't change. I just kept writing and, um, yeah, and there are people out there, it's their work to edit. So if you're too self-conscious about how it should be, like do the writing and give it to someone else. They will, they will help you shape it or make it better. But don't stop from writing because you think you're not a writer because it's, yeah, it blocked me too for a long time. Oh, but am I a writer? I used to say, oh, no, I'm not a writer, but I have a, I have a story to tell. <laughs> Provide you're a writer. Yeah. It's true. Yeah, <laughs> yeah I, told, I get that too. Even with like poetry, like someone asked me the other day when I went to my friend's studio and I was doing the spoken word, they were like, so are you a poet? I'm like, um, I, I, I don't, I don't know. My friend's like, own it. Yes. Just say it, you know? And I'm like, I guess, <laughs> but yeah, those titles, it, it, it almost puts pressure. You're like, okay, now I have to be very, you know, I have to perform a hundred percent all the time. But yeah. <laughs> In the genre, there are different types, there are different types of writing and ours belong, you know? Yeah. It's because in our mind, we think writing or spoken word or poetry, it has to be this, this and this, but not necessarily. If if the, if it resonates with people, it means it belongs. Um, just because you spoke about uh, Ugandan uh, food, so what 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 do you what do you do Ugandans eat? Please educate me. <laughs> okay, so Ugandans number one. Oh my goodness, matoke, green bananas. Oh my goodness, like like everyday matoke. That's what I now call it. I'm like everyday matoke. I'm not a fan of matoke, but <laughs> that's a Ugandan dish. Um, so they pound it or what? Like they, they boil it, they pound it? 
Yeah, so you can do it when it's pounded, which is like the most traditional way. And then there's something called katogo where you can do like boiling it and then adding other things, either like peanut sauce, spinach, or you can have it with like chicken, beef, so many different ways of making katogo. Katogo is like a mix of of things with the with the matoke. Um, and then also I would say ugali, which we say posho or kaunga. Do you know what ugali is? Yeah, yeah, we call it fufu. Yeah, yeah. yeah. I, you know, I know, and everyone, I'm so curious though if it's really the same as fufu, because I've had fufu. They're similar, but they're still like a little bit different, but that same idea. Yeah. But um, your own ugali, is it a maize based? Yeah, cornmeal, yeah. Yeah, uh, yeah, ours too. The yeah. same, yeah. But different kinds, yeah. Mm-hmm. But, um, my village is corn based and they eat it morning, lunch, evening. <laughs> now that is my favorite. I like I can eat that all the time. I prefer it to rice. Like, yeah, I love it. And to pantoke. Um, and then sweet potatoes, yam. Um, and then of course, like we call um muchomo, which is grilled meat. That's another thing. Gonja, which is plantain, but boiled plantain, or you can have it fried as well. Um, what else? Groundnut sauce. So like peanut sauce, peanut soup, however you want to say it with spinach sometimes in it, or there's like the typical one. You can have it plain or have it with fish in it. Oh, I love Ugandan food. Very, we're more like vegetarian based beans, peas as well. And then you can add like the muchomo. But I would say, cause I, I am, um, I'm familiar with like more West African foods as well. And I know that I would say West Africans seem to eat meat a lot more than we do. And apparently Kenyans do too. My cousin was telling me that, but yeah, you should try it. Ugandan food is, is good. Yeah. <laughs> I would try to find some. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. You're based in Ottawa? Yeah, near Ottawa. Oh, in there's yeah. oh yeah? Yeah. You'll find yeah. some of those you get. Actually I know someone who makes Ugandan food. I'll give her I'll give you her, her contact. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I love trying new food. So yeah. What's your routine in keeping your mental health at a good state? You know, like uh, on a daily basis, what are the little things or weekly or monthly? You know, I don't want to put pressure like daily basis. You know, <laughs> yeah, I'm not. I'm not that person. There's some people who are they're on point. Me, <laughs> I'm too like free flow with things. Um, but no, I would definitely say I'm very introspective. So like, I like to reflect and deal with things. So if I know something is bothering me. I will, you know, want to unpack. Um, I recently started uh, meditation. Meditation was very hard for me before, but now I'm learning to go to go through it and sit through it. Um, even listening on YouTube to like the inner child, like getting back in touch with your inner child. I didn't realize how powerful that is, but it's been healing. I tried it one time. I was like, whoa, I, I need to be ready for this. <laughs> It's powerful. Yeah, you're right. Very powerful. Um, so yeah, and then now I got a personal trainer. So exercise, you know, incorporating that into my life because I am, I would say at my core, a very like active person, but so when I'm not and I'm too sedative, is that the word? Sedative. Yeah. 
<laughs> I'm not, my mental health just declines. Um, and then also drinking lots of water, lots and lots of water um, and creating because that's something that brings me alive. And now I'm like, hey, incorporate creating into your routine and Afrobeats music, literally. <laughs> just play that on. If anyone wants to listen to my playlist, Afrobeats Therapy, literally by KB Molera. I'm telling you, you just you just press play and you're like, you know what? Okay, I can push through this. <laughs> I can push through this day. Um, but yeah, finding ways also to laugh. Laughing, you know, is a good thing too. Um, and also one thing I've been slacking on, but which helps me a lot is journaling out my thoughts, just releasing thoughts, releasing or speaking. Sometimes I'll even put on my voice note recorder and I just start speaking or singing or just making noises. I'm like, just release whatever is inside of me. <laughs> advice that, that I could just record myself just for myself. And I talk and talk and talk and talk or with the voice. Yeah. Just talk, talk, talk what's bothering you on that. Yeah. Oh, another thing too is limiting social media time, especially like Instagram. Sometimes when you're scrolling or consuming too many different things, people's thoughts, people's opinions, images, it really does something to the brain. So I, I, yeah, I limit that now. How do you do that? I'm trying to do that. I'm not very successful. So how do you, are you just disciplined? No, I'll delete the app from my phone. Okay. <laughs> yeah. like that. Okay. I'm because you know because it can become habit. So when the app's not there, I'm like, oh yeah, nope, you're off it, you know. And then, and that, like, what I'm going to do since I'm going to be creating more content that I'll be sharing on Instagram, I'm gonna actually schedule Instagram time. Other than that, be off, be in the present moment, you know, because you can get so lost. It's like its own little virtual world on Instagram. Yeah. So, but deleting the app, I think, is 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 really helpful for me. Yeah, I try to produce sometimes more than I consume. You know, I shifted my use because before I was like just consuming, never posting, even on Facebook and everything. I deleted all the apps for like one year, and then when I came back, I'm like, okay, I can consume, but I have to produce. Um, not I have to. Uh, I will produce and put. And not just sit there and consume because you're right. Uh, the human mind was never made to have access, such intimate access to the lives of 1,000 followers. I don't know, 2,000 people, what they're doing. It was never meant to be like that, you know? And do you read? Do you like reading? So I would say I read, but I read like short stories or like, I don't know if you know the book, um, after the Rain by Alex L., this African-American artist or author. No, I've heard of her, but no, I don't know the book. Yeah. Yeah. So, you know, she has very short chapters, reflective chapters. Those are the kind of books that I can read or I listen to audiobooks or reading blogs. I am not the long novel reader. I, my attention span? No, it's not there. I'm too visual and audio based that after a while I start to fall asleep. <laughs> and that's why my grammar isn't the best. I already know. I'm like, yeah. <laughs> that's why I'm like, I'll stick to poetry where you can get away with like not being. <laughs> yeah. But I, I would love to be that person that's like, yeah, I'm a big reader and I read this and that, but no. <laughs> yeah, no, it's okay. You know, 
I know, but people always assume. They're like, yeah, if you're a writer, you're a reader. I'm like, mm-hmm. <laughs> well. <laughs> yeah. Um, do you have any final remarks before we wrap this up? Um, yeah, I think I would say to whoever is listening, whatever it is that it may sound so like typical, but like if there's something that you've really been wanting to do, just do it this year, just do it. You know, life is really short. Um, losing friends under the age of 30 has, you know, really impacted me to realize that like, if I'm going to live this life, let me live it. Let me do what I want to do um, without being afraid of what people will think. Because when you pass away, those same people who judge you will be there like, oh, I knew her. She was this. She was that, you know? So yeah, just go for it. If it's writing a book, if it's going back to school, like I'm 31 and I, I'm, I went back to school to finish my degree, you know, after I dropped out of university. So, you know, in a pandemic came to Uganda, like I just, I've been doing a lot of random things where it's like, if tomorrow, you know, God calls me and I pass away, I actually will have peace with my life because I decided to just take control, take, take a hold of it and do what I want to do. So that's what I would encourage anyone who's listening 2021, just do it. <laughs> I love it so much. Thank you so much, CJ. Thank you. It was a great conversation. <laughs> no problem. Thank you. I really, I enjoyed this as well. Thank you.